Hey guys, this is Liz Cambay. This is Nikki Collins. What up, guys? This is Epic Carson. Hey, this is Imani Mee Stafford. Hey, this is Jordan Canada. This is Asia Wilson. Welcome to the WNBA Nation. WNBA Nation. It's celebration time. I hope you brought your champagne or like your Martinelli's, your teetotaler, you know, your sparkling apple, sparkling grape, sparkling apple cranberry, sparkling apple pomegranate, sparkling blush, if you like that too. Uh, is it clear that I don't drink? There you have it. Anyway, uh, we're here to celebrate multiple things. We have a championship to talk about. And also, uh, we're celebrating. I'm, I'm finally not alone after a couple weeks. Logan Jones, how's it going? Uh, it's going so good. Uh, we had a, a great game last night, a great series that we're going to have to recap. Um, but first, I just very quickly need your stance on sparkling water. Yes or no? Uh, absolutely not. No, no frizzante. I, I can't even, or even just like, uh, uh, the LaCroix or the, what's the other big one? Waterloo. I've, I've tried as like, uh, maybe this will wean me off diet soda. I no, no. Just, no. Yeah. All right, we're in agreement on that one. Then I, I apologize if we immediately turned off some some fans of the show on that one. Hey, I don't want to take it away Spark- from anybody. It's not it's not for me. Sparkling beverages are fine as a whole, and but the thing with me is I've always and if you do this at home, you're allowed to. I'm not telling anyone it's bad, but I've always la- like had a a, a gri- not a gripe, but it's always made me laugh. The like links people will go to just not drink water, water like. <laughs> I got to have something sweet in it or it's got to be sparkling. It's got to be fizzy or it's got to be like this. Cause I just can't put the thing that tastes like nothing in my mouth. Water's, you know, water's the, so good. It's water. Oh yeah. When, <laughs> like, water's good and ice cold. It's, it's the best, but like, it's just always made me laugh a little bit. Like Jenny makes fun of me. Cause when she's like, you just drink water. Like would you need to drink water? I'm like, yeah. What this is this? I don't Wrong know. If, I don't know if WNBA Nation listeners know this, but the W in W Nation actually stands for water in the off season, and we <laughs> we talk about bodies of water, and we we talk about uh, like flooding and water tables throughout different regions of the U.S. No, that's not true. We're going to talk about basketball, but um, that's <laughs> that's how off topic Stephen I can get in a hurry. I'm here for it. I'm, I'm there for it. Water tables um, isn't that a thing? Yeah, water tables. Um, flooding. There is waterbeds. You know, there's been some significant flooding. We hope anyone who has had to deal with it is safe across the country, including in Vegas, who's probably still half recovering from that. Speaking of Vegas, Logan, what a hey. horrific segue. But- <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sorry. I was, I was, but, it's uh, better than what I would have done, which I was about to just go say, Hey, what a good basketball team they have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're such a good basketball team. Oh, absolutely. We uh, officially have a 2023 WNBA champion. Congratulations, Las Vegas Aces, 3-1. to one. Um, And I had a great deal of fun watching this series. It wasn't necessarily as nail-bitery in some places as possible, but Game 4 lived up to just about as much hype as it possibly could have. I think I think it gave everyone a taste of what this matchup can be at its peak and is going to have a lot of people ready for more. Um, just before we get into just the actual breakdown of the discussion, I, there's been so much, I I don't even like the word, but there's no other way to say it. There's been so much hype, so much buzz coming into this matchup 
what was your finals experience? How did you like coming out of it? I, I love, uh, so I would have loved it to go to five. In fact, I would have loved it to go to seven, but that wasn't feasible. Um, oh, yeah. and I, and I think Absolutely. most people would have liked the, and I'm not just saying that because we have a show and we, we want the maximum amount of basketball possible. But for this matchup, I think it would have been fun to see both teams in an even series go to like a do or die game over in Vegas. Uh, at the same time, it's pretty telling that the, I, I, what I would call the, the closest game of the, the finals and the one that was, it, it was described by Vegas native. Do you, I don't know if you know Eric Young, but he's a, he's a friend of the show. I know, I know he knows a lot of people around the show. He's a Vegas guy. He's into, he's plugged into all the Vegas sports scene. Um, and he texted me immediately after and was like, that was a butt clencher of a game. <laughs> I was like, that's yeah. the only, that's the only way to describe it. But it's very hard for me to sit here and tell you that like the Liberty, were as deserving as the aces when the best game of the finals happened when the aces were down two starters. And that, that to me is like a, it's not the story of the season or the series, but it is a little bit of an extra feather in the cap, I guess, which they don't need because they're back-to-back champs. They don't need more feathers, but like the aces going in and playing that really tough game, the closest game of the finals and doing it, in a way, I remember in pre-record, you even said like, oh, like Chelsea Gray, Keith Stokes are out. Like, I wonder if they'll be back for game five because there's going to be a game five, you know? It, it weirdly too, and I know I'm not alone in this. It had like that foregone conclusion, like, oh, so this is the story of game four. And then game five is going to be about if Gray can make it back in time. Yeah, or there was all that like teasing of could Candace be back in the lineup. For, and, like there was all that yeah. talk. Anytime we've tried to poke holes in this Vegas team over the last two seasons, the only real vulnerability we can spot is like, what if something like Chelsea Gray goes down and they just don't have a lot of depth on the bench? They don't, not that they don't have talented players on the bench, but they don't rotate them in. Like Becky Hammond runs a pretty, a pretty slim rotation all season long. And that's so, so my, my takeaway was Vegas is a deserving champion as deserving as you'll ever see. The Liberty were, a worthy foe, but ultimately I, I, I find it very difficult to argue that the, the best team did not in fact win. like this, the best team won this year. And I, I was hopeful that the Liberty would do exactly what they did, which was put together a team in the off season around Stewie and immediately challenge, which they did. But even minus starters, even on the road, Vegas got it done three to one. And that's, I mean, that's pretty telling to, to just how dominant of a player and, how good of a coach and you know, Asia and Becky and everything that they've surrounded them with in Vegas is a real winner. Yeah. It's obviously the first back-to-back championship team since 2002. So it's been over 20 years since we've even had this opportunity, which is uh, wild. Is that, is that not a little wild? Yeah. It's insane. There was was a Seattle era. There was a Lynx era. There was a Sparks era and none of them went back-to-back in the last 20 years. That's Seattle. The storm. And the Lynx have both won four championships in that span, and none of them were consistent. And none back-to-back? Even Phoenix. Like, it's, it's weird to me that actually that, that no one has done it in such a long time. So extra, Yeah, as a matter of fact, most teams who had multiple championships, like the Detroit Shock won three in that stretch. The, yeah, the Mercury got three in that stretch. Because at the end of – when that, that this streak started, only two teams had won championships. Right. <laughs> Comets won four, the Sparks won two, and then we didn't see a back-to-back in over two decades. And 
the you know the the aces have officially entered that dynasty field that discussion like it's absolute like they were as much as i enjoyed this series and as much fun as i had and knowing that certain levels take this matchup from one way to the other you also look at the standings, you look at the performances all season, and it's just kind of like, oh, this is what we knew would happen. And sometimes the predictable result doesn't always mean it's the boring result or the bad result. Because no. um, you still get to watch basketball at its highest level. No, we and- waited all season to see, is anyone going to solve the Asia Wilson issue? Like, cause yeah, I don't think, you know, and New York did their darndest by throwing B into the mix with a, a, yeah. a, a, like a Brie and, and company roster that was really solid from top to bottom. And then when that didn't yeah. work, now here we are in another off season going, like how, who's going to knock Asia Wilson off the, off the top of the mountain? Cause New York took a pretty good shot and they won three to one. So yeah. we're left kind of wondering what that looks like. I'm glad you brought up Asia specifically because uh, if there's anyone who is ready to make the exact claim you did as loud as possible, it's pretty much any member of her own team. <laughs> Paramount of that being Becky Hammond, who has been uh, the one thing I've really appreciated about, I guess, uh, and people are going to be like, Steve, you're so uncool when you say this word. When you observing the vibe of the ACs and them as, as uh, the chemistry of what makes the team. One thing I've always appreciated about the ACs is they're not, uh, what's the word cryptic or they're translucent on anything. They, they are who they are. And, and one of the main things about that is you, you never get a, you hardly get those classic canned responses from them. If the public has a certain discussion point, that team is having those discussion points. Becky Hammond made that known in many post game interviews where, where she's talking like we're talking about Asia, Asia Wilson here, third at MVP voting. You had Alicia Clark calling out who made the fourth, you know, that fourth place vote. You have her target. Becky went in on how she doesn't have a shoe deal. Like it, like that's. Yeah. That's Stuff. the level of transparency they've had about how much they believe in each other, but also believing in Asia Wilson, because I think I have a theory. There's nothing about my life or anyone I know that can prove this. This is pure speculative. I have a strange theory about how things panned out coming to game four. And I, I have a feeling that in my mind's eye, what I can imagine is Becky Hammond sits down one-to-one with Asia two nights ago and basically says, and I can't do a Becky Hammond impression. I'm not going to try, but basically says, listen, no one loves Chelsea Gray more than I do. She's phenomenal. There's a reason that she's lauded as much as she is. So what I'm about to say is nothing against Asia Wilson, against Chelsea Gray, because we absolutely love her. And we know she's one of the best to do this, but are you like me, Asia, and sick and tired of people already counting us out because Chelsea's gone? As if they forgot that Asia Effing Wilson is on this team. It's, I think tonight, it, tomorrow it's going to be time for you to remind people who you are. And then she woke up, went to the arena, went 24 and 16 and won a finals yeah. trophy. And, and look, we're, uh, as, as a 
WNBA sports podcaster. I'm not going to sit here and pat of like me and and all of the the WNBA nation co-hosts on the back for for having this because everybody had this. But like when Asia came into the league, it was kind of a matter of time before she won it all. And how many, you know, the question was like, how many is she going to get? You know, Bree's already got a couple. You know, there's the the really the really elite legendary type players in this league over the last 25 years or so. Like they they reached the pinnacle a number of times. And it was just kind of a matter of time before Asia got there. And we were all wondering, like, what's that going to look like? Is it going to be a dynasty? No one's gone back to back for a long time. And it's so fun for her to be in the prime of her career and for us to already be talking about, like, well, there's two. And it's really hard to win one. Like, it's really hard to win one. The the Liberty, the poor Liberty, who I know this is a very different team than it was when they played the Comets all those years ago. But, like, the Liberty have been on the precipice a bunch. The, the Connecticut Sun have been on the precipice a bunch. Minnesota has been on the, like, they've won a bunch, but they've also been on the precipice a bunch. Like, it's hard to win one. It's really hard to win two. It's, I think the toughest thing in sports sometimes can be to perform when you already have expectations set very high. It's, it's one thing to go into a season and be a pleasant surprise and then get red hot in the postseason. Yeah. But Candace Parker, a (laughs) top 10 player of all time. Right. Had to wait seven, eight years to pull one down. And then yeah, now it's three example. with three different franchises. Del- like Deladon. You know, like the, yeah. the fact it's that very they, hard to do. The story coming into the season was like, well, the Aces added Candace Parker and then immediately lost Candace Parker. And then there was, they were getting sued. And it was like, is there a culture problem in Vegas? Like we didn't really ever think that all yeah. the way, but there was definitely some speculation. The bench depth started to become like, I don't know if that's going to bite him this year. New York is coming along strong. Their matchups throughout the year seemed to really favor the Liberty. And it was like, are they, you know, we see this happen all the time. Like the balance of power changes in the W all the time. And age is that player who, again, along with great coaching and, and great, like just from top to bottom, that team is great. I, I don't mean to, to ignore any part of it, but her specifically, and I, I, I know that basketball fans are sick of legacy talk and comparisons to players of past eras and whatever. Like, like she's going to put herself in the conversation of just like, if you were to hold an all time draft, like who's, who's the player? Like people are going to say Maya Moore and people are going to say Cheryl swoops and people are going to say Cynthia Cooper. And, and like at some point, like Tamika catchings and stuff like, like Asia Wilson's going to put herself in that conversation and is not deep into her career yet. Like she's got a lot of good years to go. So yep. it's very fun to already be counting the rings when it's like, and and it could, I mean, she could end up having a whole second life in her career on a different team that's not in Vegas. The way mm-hmm. that I think Bree is going to have like a, a second kind of generation of of basketball experiences over in New York. And, yeah, and that's like anyway. My it's just it's fun when a player like this comes in immediately delivers and then has a lot of years left to to give the league a lot of exciting moments. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, you were talking about all the different levels of, you could say, distraction or hardship that the organization had gone through over the season. We forget that we walked into the season wondering if Becky Hammond was going to be coaching the team. There was that very high possibility we see her go to Toronto. And likely we'll do the same next season. Because she'll be in that conversation. Yeah. I don't know if people have learned by now that she's pretty good at coaching basketball. (laughs) Um, but like, that was also another really great example of like transparency. It was like weeks after all of that had gone down 
that Kelsey Plum had a really good quote about it, just straightforward. She's like, yeah, every time I'd run into Becky, I'd say, dude, F Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I just, it was, it was class. Yeah. But, um, but Asia dropping, she averaged 23.8 and 11.8 over the series. So nearly 24 and 12 uh, to take on the series. She, uh, her one to one contested shots, when contested by Wilson, opponents only shot 30%. I mean, she, mm. Was overwhelmed across the board, but it, that was kind of, that's always been, that's been the Aces MO all year long. I think if there's anything I love about this roster and what makes them championship ready is they have a level of intensity that is, uh, unlike a lot of basketball teams I've watched in years because, um, and that's on the defensive end and on the offensive end, they're hungry to get rebounds there. And that, that goes from player to player. And it, and it makes sense to me why this was a team that can be structured in a way that if you happen to lose a great like Chelsea Gray and um, a, a starting big like Keith Stokes coming into a finals game, you can count on people to step up and find their fit in the cog and, and work it. Because there's a lot of, we can go up and down the stat sheet and talk about players who put in big performances last night. You know, Alicia Clark was really, really good flying into that starting role. Jackie Young looked really solid at times. Kelsey Plum was Kelsey Plum. <laughs> um, even though the stat sheet doesn't quite support it, she didn't necessarily shoot well, but she got bored. She had five assists. But man, we got to talk about Sydney Colson. Absolutely. Man. Um, f- 15 solid minutes. She played a total of, it was something like four minutes heading into this, this game. It was like, like full on wind down time, um, in the position. Um, people, well, no one had been saying this. Everyone loves City Colson, but like almost as much there to promote your hilarious TV show as anything else. Um, has always been the great consummate teammate. Um, but came in a position when this bench was too deep. You had Sidney Colson and you had Kirsten Bell, and that was it. So you had a too deep bench, came in, put in 15 quality minutes, and if plus minus means anything to you, she led all players in plus minus plus 17 on the night. She, when she was on the court, say what you want about points, say what you want about shot attempts, she was one for one from the field for that record. Um, say whatever you want in terms of statistics. She worked directly. She found the flow. She paced with her teammates. She was, uh, you know, her defensive assignments, assignments were on point. She came in and stepped up, and that's very much been the MO at the Aces. It's players stepping up and saying, tell me what my role is and making it happen. And I've, it's really a big part of what I've really loved about watching this team. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun that the Aces proved they could win in a game where it's like you need to hold a team under 70 to win this game. And they won in a game that was like you need to score 100. Like the two, they scored 99, they scored 104. Um, and then the last game, obviously, they won 70 to 69. That's kind of my impression of who these guys are is like, like there are nights where they can go out and drop 100 on basically anybody. And there are also nights where defensively, even if that's not the sort of night they're having on the offensive end. They can also just clamp down um, yeah. New, York, New York Liberty 30 points in the second half of game four of the finals. Like that's, that's an elite defensive performance um, on a night where yeah. 
the Liberty had been shooting really well and a night after they had shot exceedingly well and finally got themselves in the win column. So it was, it was a great series. It was a great game to end on. Even if it didn't go to five games, it was certainly a fun finale. Speaking of the ending, ending, ending of the game. Uh, <laughs> I would like to talk about the last play, even though we, we've kind of put a bow on the season and all, what it means for each team, but um, not to play the what if game and torture New York Liberty fans any further. Um, but certainly Liberty down one with the ball in their hands and a timeout and, and a good use of the timeout because they had nothing going on for the seconds that, you know, they crossed half court and it was like, Oh, there's nothing happening here. So they called timeout. Sandy Brandella draws up the play. Walk me through that, that last play and kind of what your thoughts were as it unfolded. You had made a point in our pre-record that, that actually opened it up a lot for me because at first I will say that and this goes on top of the fact that I understand how Bree Stewart had been on the offensive end of the floor all night long, but it very much felt right away like she was handed the space to make that play, to make that move. Like I talked a little bit previously about how it felt like that was her moment uh, to, you know, you're the MVP and she seemed to have an open lane to try and make the shot work. Um, and they went with something that had been doing decent. We, one thing we have to remember coming into this play before this inbound Vandersloot was four for seven from three. Yeah. Uh, so, so slotting her in that corner position actually is not a bad move at all. Move at all. She was very much a player who was making shots that the Liberty desperately, she stopped a lot of bleeding. Uh, during this game, she was making key shots when they were losing possessions, players were breaking shots, things weren't working out, and she was able to find that momentum. And that hasn't been her role pretty much most of the playoffs. She's very much been a distributor and has taken a lot less shots uh, each night and played well there. My frustration, I just didn't love the look. <laughs> um, and I felt like the play personally was drawn. I don't, I can't say exactly how I felt like it was drawn, but I felt like the idea was we have Vandersloot deep as kind of the fallback maneuver. And, but otherwise we need to do what we can to get the ball under the basket. I, I feel like it was almost drawn up for Jones. I don't know if you disagree or not, but I'm not sure. When she was a key, when she was a key rebound and went straight up with it after the Vandersloot shot playing, I, that's had that feeling of like, I feel like she was being set up to get the ball under the basket and make that play happen. Um, either that or they were trying to put uh, Stewie in a position to like take the inbound, set a pick and find an open look that was either going to be uh, like uh, UNESCO yeah, in the corner this, or this just kick very, it out to the corner. But like, this, this feels obvious at first to just be like, you've got Bree Stewart on your team put the ball in her hands. Like you've, you've got nine seconds inbound it and have a play. Like you're, if you're a coach in the finals, you got to have a play for your best player. But I also understand the temptation that one might feel if it's like, look, Stewie's eight of 19. They're defending her really well tonight in the final two minutes of the game. You've had huge shots. You had a big jumper from Sabrina and you had a huge three from Vandersloot with like a minute to go. Like, I totally get the temptation to find a way, like, if nothing's there for Bree, to find a way to get the ball into their hands. The problem is you're playing an Aces team that just, 
it it takes even with nine seconds, I think it was eight point eight seconds left. Like it it just takes an extra half second to do everything because their hands are everywhere. They're defensively so sound. They're so long that you know, I you know, someone catches it at the top of the arc and it takes too long to collect the ball and the look isn't there. And then they swing it to Vandersloot. And by that time, the play had been developing for so long, she wasn't sure how much time was left. And you could tell she just rushed it. She just chucked it at the rim. Like, it, I don't think a corner three from Courtney Vandersloot is a bad way to to take the game into your own hands in the final in the final seconds. I don't think that's necessarily a bad shot. But to get it, you you had to like they barely inbounded the ball, and then Bree had the ball, and it barely it felt like oh like oh boy you know every every moment of that play felt like something was going to go wrong because of the defensive effort, and then it finds its way over to to Vandersloot in the corner, not a clean pass. She throws it up, and immediately you're like that's not going to work, and then you check the clock, and the time is out, and you're like man like if anybody in the league could get offense from anybody on the floor, it's the Liberty, and that's just. A testament to the Aces' defense. I don't feel like this is a game yep. that the Liberty blew by any means. They, again, they hit three big shots down the stretch, and the Aces ended up yeah. just sealing it with defense instead of scoring I, 100 points, which we know they can also do. Yeah, I think to to make this like a flub on the Liberties is to discredit the defensive prowess no. that came out yeah. of Vegas. I mean, Vegas is... Uh, known as a marketing hub, and it makes sense because defensively the aces are disruptors, and that's what <laughs> makes them so good. It's not just in their defensive stats, but what you said, their ability to buy time, getting hands in pathways, you know, forcing people to second like second guess maneuvers, like they almost play a mental game defensively as much as they play a physical one. It's has to be extremely intimidating. To play against a defense that's that, um, and this is another term I can't stand, but scrappy. I mean, they're it disciplined, but they get in there. And I, I like that they drew something up. You and I constantly gripe about, n- namely college games coming down to the last play, and it's right. just dribble out because well, because they just and get to one. the point guard and they're like, make something happen, point guard. And it's yeah. like, that's not and what your coach is to supposed to have do. that drawn up. It seemed clear that they were trying to get an open look and they had something drawn up. And so Stewie's primary role in that play is probably to get the ball to an open player. But when she, when the inbound went the way it did and it actually looked like she was going to have an open lane, you know, there's always going to be that part of me that's like, man, you should have just ate that up. Like you could have had that, but coming out of that point and, hitting kind of really the next narrative of what game four was about. We talked about one side of the table, you're defending 2022 MVP and their performance in stepping up. And the discussion was who's going to step up. And it's a not fun way to transition into this because we typically don't like this type of narrative talking about players, but you can't say that a player who brought in two, you know, four, 14 rebounds and two steals, uh, was flat in this, but in so many opportunities to step in, this was probably Bree Stewart's most frustrating game. I've probably ever seen her play on a big stage. 10 points, three for 17 from the field. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's. Yeah. I think it has to be because most of the time, if I told you like, Hey, Steve, in a finals game against the aces, four different Liberty players scored double digit points. You'd be like, 
sounds like the starters played pretty well. But if I said, and Bree scored 10 on three of 17, you'd be like, that's probably not conducive to a winning effort. I mean, in a game where they lost by one, it's like, yeah, you got to have, if you're going to find a bucket anywhere on the, on the box score, like it's one of those is one of the ones you got to get back. Three of 17, it didn't make a field goal the entire fourth quarter. She, she got two free throws at the start, but didn't get one to drop uh, the entire fourth when she, she had looks, she had opportunities and it was uncanny watching it in real time because they were shots that went in. They were, Shaquille O'Neal <laughs> yeah. called them, yeah. always called them little cheeses. They, they were, <laughs> they were plays that typically went in. And I don't know if it's, you can credit Kayla George and Asia's ability yes. to contest those well enough that things went off center or something else, but it was, uh, it was un, it was uncanny watching these, these plays go down and, and things just would not fall for her. You could tell there was frustration there. Um, you could kind of see it in her demeanor. Um, I'm not one to have that first take legacy type discussion. I think that's ridiculous. No, I think Stewie's going to be Stewie no matter what, but, um, it was for the Liberty is Bree Stewart doing half of what she normally would do on the way in this game. Is that the difference? Is the, yeah. is, is three from 17 for the field? Is her having it, you know, is, is that the difference for the Liberty in game four? Or is there really another narrative? Because yeah, I'll say this. Yeah. There are a lot of people that are turning immediately to this. I've already seen it all over TikTok. It's uh, like, you know, it's the classic not my MVP discussion. Thing, <laughs> like, uh, And I think that's where the narrative, you know, the one thing that didn't help the Liberty walking into this finals is without much of their doing, they walked in with Vegas having way too much whiteboard material. Sure. You yeah. can go all the way back to UNESCO and the 2K cover. You can go to Stewie winning MVP and, and Asia getting voted third. And that may matter to some yeah, and definitely not wild. matter to others, but it's certainly a, a narrative piece to it. You couple that with, with this is how Asia finishes out the finals. This is how Stewie finishes out the finals. Is that the difference maker to you or what really was missing for New York to make this happen? Cause the narrative was there. Yeah, well, I, I think Stewie was right to try to force the issue, which is why she got up so many shots. Um, because you have to recognize, like, look, when, like, Asia Wilson's going to play 39, 40 minutes a game, and you know that. And defense takes a lot of effort. And, and you're deep. I mean, you're as deep in the postseason as you can go. You're in game four of the finals. So you have to make Asia work on defense so that she's not killing you with, you know, what, 11 of 21 on the other end for, for 24 points and grabbing every rebound that comes anywhere near her. Like, Asia was everywhere in this game. And it's, it's kind of on Stewie to, to, I don't know, not beat her up a little bit, but like you, you have to, to make it tough on her on the defensive end more so than, than going three of 17 because like she, you, you can't have her be the best player on both ends of the floor every minute of the game or you're going to lose. And that's pretty much how it went. My, my concern especially was like you have, you have Asia Wilson in there and then you, I believe you have like 34 year old Kayla George who is a really good spot start. But for the most part, like we, we keep mentioning like this ACES team runs a starting five, two, two players of which were, were injured and missing from this game. And then Sydney Colson comes in and gives 15 minutes off the bench. And that's basically it. 
Like if yeah. if you're going to beat the Aces, it kind of has to be because Bree is forcing Becky to throw bodies at her in order to keep everybody fresh on their sideline. You're at home. Yeah. You just had a great shooting night team-wide like the previous game. It does kind of feel like it falls on her shoulders, even though this, like, I think Brundell is a really good coach. I think this is a really good roster. Like, you can, you can find places where you could make up points here and there all over the place. Um, John Cole Jones isn't out there necessarily to be an elite scorer, but she ended with six points. Like, that's, eh. but it is, t- I mean, we, we mentioned this earlier and we were talking about the final play and how it's like, well, you, just common sense says you need to put the ball in Stewie's hands regardless of how the game has gone. But I've seen Sabrina hit like 33s in a row and she was having a good game. <laughs> and I've seen, you know, just with a minute 13 to go, I saw Vandersloot hit a 25 footer and she was your team's leading scorer in this game. So, it, I mean, it's a tough call to be like, we're going to still roll with this player that for the most part is unstoppable, but today has not been great. And not with two players or even Laney, who I think is just a really elite shooter and can always be trusted to take a shot to, to like get us, you needed two points. Like you needed a bucket from anywhere. So you didn't even necessarily have to go corner three. Um, anyway, the initial question you asked me was like basically how, how, what share of the responsibility do you put on, on Bree's shoulders? And I almost, I don't necessarily want to think of it that way because we like Brie on this show and we think she's as great as everybody has ever said. Like we have nothing bad to say about her as a player, as a person. It does feel like, and I think she would be the first to admit this, like she has to have a better game than that. And it also feels like it was schemed that way by a really good coach and a really good defensive player on the other end. Like I don't think Mm -hmm. anybody in the league besides a Becky Asia pairing could be that effective defensively against Bree Stewart. Um, in fact, there was a really good, I, I want to say it was an Alexa um, article from a year or two ago, basically saying like, there's really no way to stop Bree Stewart over the course of the game. Like she just, she can hit from anywhere. She can, she can facilitate from anywhere. She's just kind of too good of a player for like a defense to handle. And I think really the only kryptonite is if you have, if you have probably the best coach in the league at this point, I think that's a, a safe thing that we can say at least right now, even if it's a prisoner of the moment sort of take. And then you've got Asia Wilson, who's like, I, I will move heaven and earth in order to win this championship because I know what I'm about. And I got third in MVP voting this year. <laughs> like, yeah. I think, I think that is the, the right combination of like, he is, he, I don't expect to ever see Bruce Stewart have a game this poor in the postseason, probably ever again, short of injury or catastrophe. Yeah, and that's the thing is, like, I don't think this is a sign of things to come. I think this is a huge no. point for her. I think this is a point of change. But it, it was so interesting to me because I was trying to think of what else contributes to this. And so much of walking into this game was set up for the Liberty. You obviously never plan around an injury. But obviously, with Chelsea Gray out of the lineup, that's one less offensive threat to have to generally focus on. So your brain immediately switches to, okay, so we have some advantage there. You're coming off a lot of momentum um, with a very confident Game 3 win. Um, You know that this ties up the series for you. You have Barclays stuffed to the rafters. You have President Barbie and Ted Lasso in the front row. In Seafoam, everything there works for you. When you dig, dig into the stat sheet, it gets even weirder. From deep, they shot better by 
nearly 12% than Vegas. Uh, from They rebounded uh, just as well. They, they turn, I think their turnovers were the identical. Yeah. yeah. So much about this was even handed. I mean, there's a few lineup, like a few strategic differences you could talk about. I probably would have tried to feed Jones a little bit more than eight times. I would have probably had Marine John as play more than seven minutes because she got effective shots up during the entire series and the entire playoffs. But at the end of the day, the difference maker is if Stewie does what Stewie does, if if this is game three, 20 and 12, I think she had 16 and nine in game two. If it even gets to that point, yeah, this is potentially a smooth victory for the Liberty. And it's not a slam on, oh, like some MVP. Because again, the MVP, first and foremost, it's a regular season award. I don't even like having that discussion of like, who should really be the, it went yeah. the way that yeah. it went. But, um, I think I agree with you and like Stewie should be expected to do this. The other thing that was intriguing about it, this isn't Stewie getting like uh over a certain hump. This isn't a new situation for her. She's been Asia Wilson twice before. She's been in that situation yeah. and pulled it in. And that's where it really threw it off for me. It was like it was watching yeah, something that That's kind of why like I do think she played a poor game. At the same time, I don't want people to to suddenly question whether whether we've been over, you know, over inflating Stewie's talent all along. Cause it's like, look, she's playing against, huh. she's playing against yeah. Andrew Wilson. The, the, these two players have been like in contention for MVP for like the last three years in a row. Like they're, they're both just constantly like, who's it going to be this year? Cause they're both that good. Like one is going to get the better of the other. That's basketball. You're not going to get mm-hmm. around that. They're not going to tie. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. And it's in, yeah. in this game, it was like, look, they, I wish that we could have gone to seven because this would have been a really interesting, like, I can't believe they got the better of us. We're down three, one. Now we got to go yeah. into Vegas. But if you go the into narrative, Vegas, it does change a lot. If yeah. you go into Vegas, figuring things out the way that they had, I, I thought kind of figured out how to at least slow the, the Vegas offensive onslaught. And then you go in and Bree has kind of a bounce back game and you win in Vegas. You're down three, two going back to New York. It's, you know, the, the color of the series is really different. So in, in a way, I'm glad that we ended the series on this game because it was such a close, hard fought, great game. In another way, I, I do wish that we had a chance for Stewie to kind of respond after like, Oh, wow, this is what they're doing to me defensively. Now we got to go draw something up to make sure that, you know, if, if we get another game just like this in a game five in a best of seven series, maybe Brondello does go to Vandersloot or Sabrina for the final shot. Where and yeah. and don't give me look my my history with my sports teams. If you've been following this show for any amount of time, you know like I've watched the Seahawks get cute on the goal line and not give it to the obvious player and cost themselves a Super Bowl. And I've also watched the Portland Trailblazers draw up a play for Lamarcus Aldridge because it was his team to try and win us a playoff series for the first time in like 14 years, and then we inbound it to Lillard because he's the dude for that moment. Like I've watched both and one sometimes like if it doesn't work out, people accuse you of getting cute and you should have just gone to Bree. But if it like, if it doesn't work out or if you, if you throw it to Vandersloot in the corner, you, you have a better inbounds play and she hits it. It's like brilliant, brilliant coaching, you know, like it's, it's hard to know what to do there, but I wish we had more games of a, of a chess yeah. match type of series to be like, what do, how does New York respond after being held under 70 points and Bree really getting bottled up? Yeah, and I think it's 
the Liberty have historical reference to this as well. I mean, this is the land of Teresa Witherspoon, who has a finest <laughs> moment of her own. You have, uh, I mean, this team, as as advertised, is known for that. And it's, the final play thing is almost something I look past because I go, the Liberty are stupid with offensive weapons. It's not, there wasn't a bad option on the floor. No. And, uh, and it, in a way it kind of is that it kind of does take some of the, the stuff off of Bree's shoulders when it's like, Hey Sandy, like with a timeout and the ball in your hands down one, you got to get a better, like you got to scheme up a better look than what you ended up getting at the end of that game. Like I know they're an elite defense, but like, yeah, this is, this is what you're here for. Like that, you you got the, the inbounds was messy. The passes were messy. Like nobody caught the ball ready to shoot in that entire possession. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about um, the Vegas is a dynasty in process. The Liberty are a team that coming into a second team with this squad, um, I think you're you're going to see a whole different animal, and that I think that motivation will be there. And that, um, you know, that drive will be there. I think for a player like Bree Stewart, this will be a very motivational thing to turn from. But I didn't want to necessarily look past that and try and do the sugar cup thing because I think it's no. like, it was a bad game. <laughs> it was, it was, it was frustrating. And, and it's hard when you couple that with Asia Wilson. It's so interesting because when we started covering this league, when we started this podcast, um, almost seven years ago, which is nuts. Um, but we were already on the narrative of, we had just watched rookie Bree Stewart. We were going to be seeing Asia, rookie Asia Wilson down the road. And it was, we almost immediately were having the discussions of like, these are the next phases. Like this is the, the league for the next 20 years. And that's already played itself out of fruition. And what I think is most exciting about this and almost like turns to the to the next part of this discussion, or I guess the next note we can make is this very well may not be the this this can't be the last you've seen of these teams. Who no. knows what other teams do to step up and it's, make this happen? But it's really hard um, to get to the finals, and I don't want to make yeah. it sound like all right, we'll just we'll just reset the board and play again next year because yeah. we all know that that just isn't yeah. that isn't how sports but, works. But you do in the back of your mind, you're like. It's not like New York's going anywhere. It's not like Vegas yeah. is going anywhere. Maybe yeah. Becky's coaching an NBA team next year. Maybe that changes things. But for the most part, it's like we are going to get another another shuffle of the deck with these teams in contention. Exactly. And that's what I think is intriguing here is I feel like after watching that game four, unless you are a diehard for a specific WNBA team, like – this leaves you wanting more. We've talked endlessly for years now about the need for the finals to be seven games. I, I've been a big believer in the five, seven, seven structure. That's what it should be. It makes a lot of sense. So there's that on top of it, but also you have two teams that are going to be hungry because, you know, to make a veiled social network movie reference, like a back to back, a repeat isn't cool. You know what is cool? A three-peat. So you know Vegas is going to be ready to make that motion happen. And the Liberty have a bad taste in their mouth. And they have to. And they should. And this should like turn into something interesting. Yeah. And but already I know, yeah. I know the discussion points that we're going to be having before next season, which is like, Vegas has done it twice. Is there yeah. going to be any sort of hangover? Or is it going to be like, hey, 
Remember how we immediately got hit with like that week where we had like the only few losses that we had during our regular season where it was like Becky was busy accepting some award and we were getting sued by somebody and there was some sort of controversy and Candace Parker got White House, yeah. Right. Like what if we don't have that week and we just get to focus on basketball? And then on the other side, you're going to have somebody arguing, well, New York finally just had an off season together because remember that team got put together before the season last year, like a month beforehand. And they almost won it all. So what happens now that they've had time to gel and mesh all off season, you know, for all the reasons that I, you want to see a lot of other teams step up and, and be a part of this discussion as much as people don't love the realm of predictability in basketball. I hope this is the new link sparks. It, It would be fantastic. And on top of that, I guess the final cap I, I put on this is this. I remember texting you about this during game one. Um, I've watched a lot of high level, impactful basketball or, you know, women's basketball games in person and on television. Um, I would like being in the arena for that Iowa South Carolina game in the final four was incredible. Like those moments are huge, but um, this finals felt big in a way. It did. Yeah. Almost nothing else did. You had two arenas packed to the gills. I think someone had a comparison photo that they pulled when they were taking photos in uh, the start of the 2021 season for uh, the Liberty where they're in Barclays and they hardly have anyone in that crowd. You skip to now, they just about sold out the Barclays arena. You had a packed house. Every game this series, the pandemonium there, the matchup there, the discussion was there. You know, you were forcing Stephen A. Smith to have real actual conversations about <laughs> women's yeah. basketball where he wasn't just pulling things out of a hat. He was, he was making real discussion out of it. I, I think. And and it's not necessarily that being mainstream or those voices talking are the reason that you know you've made it, but there's so much there's so much about this finals that the narratives uh, were elevated in such a way. I mean, you can go down to I I, I remember seeing TikToks of people talking about like there was constant shade on like you know Vegas fans being frustrated with. UNESCO and the 2K thing, and then if she's not playing as well, they'll dog on her. And there were people being like, obviously, you never want to be negative on a player, but this is like real hate that usually you only see on like MNBA yeah. Twitter. Like the league's making it. If, like, if it's that, one, like, if there's one thing we believe in in this show, it's that hating a team can get you into a sport way more than loving a team can. Like, suddenly, honestly, you, you yeah. care so passionately when you're like, oh, I can't stand a villain. <laughs> a villain narrative is, is fun in that yeah, way. Yeah. So, what? How impactful in, in your mind was this finals in terms of growth of the game itself? It it's a big deal to to continue the sense of momentum that we've been feeling in the league for a while. Um, I feel like the league experienced a bump like right before all the COVID stuff happened. That then I was worried maybe would suffer a setback because because it was like oh man like. We didn't get the Sabrina and Sobley like Oregon year that we thought we were going to get and like a bunch of other stuff in 2020 that we just expected that didn't happen. And now here we are back on the, on the bus of just like, I think this is the most successful March Madness women's basketball has ever had. I saw more people talking about the women's bracket than ever before they got approval to be 
March Madness because before they couldn't even technically use that terminology, which is ridiculous. Um, like my, my brother is texting me about Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark and it's getting talked about on PTI and whatever. Like that led into a season that was like, Oh, New York is good. Oh, Vegas is good. And by the way, I know this is a little bit abstract and, and feels like an aside, but like Vegas as a city went out and won a Stanley Cup and then was very quick to be like, this is not the city's first sports championship. Like we are the reigning, like the aces are the reigning champs. Like, and, yeah, like real local fans are and, very much and like, I like well, that Vegas has really taken a, a liking to the aces, like the, the people that live in Vegas that don't frequent the strip, but actually like live there in the desert. Like they love their sports teams. They've got there right now. And the aces are a big part of that. And the Liberty getting Bree Stewart and, and having all like all of these like high caliber names and, and faces that people recognize, like that's a very New York thing that they've fallen in love with over there. So if you're asking me like what I think it did for, for the league moving forward, like it just increased that sense of gravity that I think makes it harder and harder for the trolls of the world to ignore. Like, it, you know, when we first started this podcast, it was very easy for someone to be like, who never even heard of Brittany Griner. I've never even heard of Bree Stewart. Like who cares? And now those people look like progressively dumber with each passing season. Yes. <laughs> because it's just, yeah. it's very hard to legitimately be like, like you can't watch a Caitlin Clark highlight reel and then comment like, eh, who cares? Like Clay Thompson. I've seen Clay Thompson do the same thing. Like, Oh, another elite shooter in the NBA did the same thing. Like that's your comparison. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> or, Exactly. Or again, like I'm, I'm not trying to harp on like the same handful of players, but like there there are very visible players to people who don't follow women's basketball. And the three point contest this year in the WNBA was a huge moment. I thought for for people who are like, look, I don't watch women's basketball. That's undisputed. Yeah, but that's I mean, <laughs> you know, so even you were getting people that that you know were hoping you know they're like, I don't want my masculinity in question, but twenty nine threes is a lot of threes. <laughs> like, and I think more and more yeah. the the sport is moving in that direction where it's like, yeah, dude, like it's okay to to love these players, to hate some of them, to consider some of them villains. Like, don't hate them as people because that's always dumb in sports. But like. Like to be like, man, I hate, you know, if you're out there and you hate dynasties, you don't want to see Vegas win. And you're like, I, I want Connecticut to get theirs next year. I want to see Deladon do it again before she hangs it up. It's like, yeah, I'm with that. I'm super on board with that. Like Jules going back to Seattle and they're going to have another year to, to build around her and do something like the, the storylines of the league that we're always excited about, I think are starting to kind of infiltrate the public conscious a little bit more. Like we had, we had a volleyball game in a football stadium that sold out to the Raptors. You you brought up before the show, like we have to work in what Iowa just did because it's so yeah. cool. Absolutely. Like, do you yeah, do you want to talk yeah. about that? No, yeah, and I I think it's a good transition point, but I would say like in terms of the timing of all of this, um, is very special. You have this growth point with the college game. That's very unreal. I mean, I, I bring it up almost every episode. 10 million people tuned in to watch the national championship game. You have people making those narratives already with a lot of these players. Um, I know that many, many people, ourselves included, have been clamoring for WNBA expansion for several years now. But Kathy Engelbert could not have begged for better timing. Coming during one of the most anticipated finals in an extremely long time, 
on top of the fact that you have some of the most marketable and exciting players we've had in a very long time who are a, a, a part of what's making women's college basketball so popular right now are at the precipice of walking in and entering uh, the league and, and changing its, its footprint there. And you get to stand up and say, Hey, by the way, one of you is going to get to take over gold state in a couple of <laughs> years. Um, the timing of that is, is unreal. And it's, it's one of those situations of we've been asking for expansion. It's happening. We've been asking for high quality matchups. It's happening. We've been, you know, we've been asking, you know, people outside of the game have been asking, what are, where are all these, like, super... That's happening. I, I personally all have of been this, asking for a yeah. longer regular season, which they have obliged the last two years. <laughs> yeah, which means maybe we'll finally get a longer postseason. And, right. like, when all this happens, the money will follow. I, yes. I think of, you know, Kristen Press and, and company, and, and, you know, she's in a collective of, of other women's players who have, uh, you know, an apparel collective and things like that. She's been very bullish in her, and I know this is soccer, but I think it's the same narrative across basketball players. She's very bullish in her narrative of, I'm, I, it's not that inspiring people and inspiring other, you know, young women to be a part of sports doesn't matter. It extremely matters, but I'm tired of that being the only narrative. I finally want to create a sport where people can make money and, and make that happen. And some people will call that calloused or short sighted. But why do you go to work? Like, <laughs> and like, that's, I honestly, that turning that into that narrative and, and, and hearing that, like when these exact things that are happening all right now at the same time happen, the money usually follows. I think um, people are going to be surprised at just how quickly the next echelon of women's basketball hits. Um, Cause I think it's much sooner than people realize. And I'm excited for that. Yeah. But to, to play to that and to move on to something that is huge evidence of that 55,000 freaking people <laughs> just showed up to watch an outdoor basketball game in Iowa. Um, so cool. Caitlin Clark, Caitlin Clark dropped a 34 point triple double. Um, the, the crossover, at, yeah, like it just, this was Even- just. Even if so you're, and, and nobody on our show is a Clark hater. Even if you're a Clark hater out there who's just like, I'm tired of hearing about her. I don't think even the haters can, can keep from admitting like anytime there's like a big moment where she really needs to deliver a, a show. She, she shows up every time, like a big outdoor 55,000 people. You know, every basketball player has a game where they go out and like Bree Stewart just had a 10 point game. We talked about at length, like dude, she delivers every time. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Do, do people recognize like 50? Can I, can I put this in context? I did some research. This is not something I just like had on, on hand, but Outson Stadium, University of Oregon, the Nike, the Nike team, college football, 54,000. Uh, Yankee Stadium. Can you picture in your mind's eye, Yankee Stadium, 54,200? Yeah. Like that's what we're talking about. An outdoor basketball game in Iowa. And look, no shade to the state so of right. Iowa, but it's not Chicago. Phoenix, LA, New York, like it's Iowa. Like, there's how much is going on there? Probably not much, but it's hard to get fifty-five thousand people in a room. Like it's, it's at a level that any any narrative you can hear from people, and there haven't been many, but any an anti-narrative you can hear about it is immediately refuted by the number itself. Because you have 
a lot of people, well, they're there to see Caitlin Clark because she's popular and that's it. A lot of players have been popular and 55,000 people haven't shut up to watch them. That's true. Like this is, this is on a completely different level. And you just, we, it, it, this is off the banks of 92,000 people watched a volleyball game in Nebraska. Which was rad. Was that not rad? Like that was Wild so cool. It was the best. Yes. But I think, um, what was cool about this was not only that moment, you know, the timing up was rough because it was during game three of the finals, but like the, the, the moment was obviously a huge thing for, for everyone. It, Played up well to the hype. Uh, Clark, who very much was a focal point there, performed at a very hard level and set a big hype tone for the start of the regular season. Because I think in some ways that was a message yes. to be like, I was still going to be Iowa. Yes, Warnock is gone. Zanano is gone. You know, we've lost a lot of the big, uh, some big pillars of, of our senior leadership. But this is still Iowa. Like, we're still yeah, going to make things happen. The, I started off like answering your question in this segment with talking about like momentum and gravity. There is definitely a feeling in college basketball where every season is like, Hey, the transfer portal, new coaches, new, new faces, fresh season, fresh start. It's really cool when a team can, can bottle. And I, I think the WNBA is going to experience this too next year with, with this upper echelon of teams in New York and, uh, in Vegas. And I think maybe even Connecticut because I don't want to leave them out of the, the fray here either where. There's going to be a lot of teams in college and professional women's basketball that pick up right where we left them. And, mm-hmm. and it's not going to take a full season to figure out like, who are they? Are they good? Are they fun? Are they going to deliver in the bright lights? It's like, no, we already know. Yeah. And that's, that consistency isn't always there in any sport. And it's really fun when it's like, get ready. Cause the ride that they took us on last year, like yeah. it, it's the end of October. It's about that time. And, it, yeah, I, and it's interesting. I love that. Like, Oh, absolutely. I was, I, dude, this was, this continues to be excited. And it could have been bigger. Like, listen, Anissa Mara going to LSU was her decision, and she very well is, is about to pull down a national title net because of it. So very good for her. She's allowed to do whatever she wants to do. That's a big move. However, she stays it, at DePaul. You have Caitlin Clark and Anissa Mara in front of 55K. <laughs> that would have been even more dope than the already dope dope. But like, it was, Big on that. And what I think added to it for me, we've just talked about the, any argument you hear, there's no way that you can refute it. I didn't hear anyone trying to short sell this. I heard one single, um, I guess you could say contrarian complaint or just like one small bit of shade on this. And it was one TikTok and it was one, uh, stitch I saw where there was a, a shot of the stadium and the crowd and Clark Luter and everyone's excited. And this guy stitched it and just said, why isn't the court in the middle? A great and that was point. the one. No. <laughs> a, yeah, a valid point. A point I can respect. <laughs> Cause I just, there were probably really good logistical reasons. It's an older stadium, but like, I just was like, you've got to be, cause that was just, that was funny to me too. Of like, huh? I you like, gotta feel if you're on the south end zone, like there's a very yeah, there's a very big difference between novel sports experiences and being gimmicky. And it's maybe it's a little bit arbitrary. Like I'm someone who really liked the aircraft carrier game that they that they did for and maybe they still do it for I know men's basketball, they 
early huh. in the year. They they always have some tournament in Jamaica and they have some basketball game outside on an aircraft carrier and they do stuff to just kind of get like drum up excitement for the There's season. Something to be said about spectacle. I think that's yeah. I think the spectacle aspect of it is totally uh, fine. NHL does their outdoor series games. Yeah. Those are always sweet. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's I I like, like yeah. I like that stuff. Maybe I'm yeah, maybe I'm like, in the minority, but I, I suspect not. I, I feel like most people are like, yeah, get eyeballs on. You know, it sucks that the WNBA Finals is going opposite NFL football on Sundays. Sometimes that sucks. Yeah. Nobody, nobody in their right mind should ever go against NFL football on Sundays. That's why the NBA doesn't do it. It's why golf doesn't do it. Despite all that, the sport, like its numbers, its viewership, its tickets. Like you can't find anything that's going in the wrong direction for the past several years, and that's pretty impressive. No, that's hugely impressive. Um, there's so many other things I could talk about in terms of women's ball, women's college ball, because of this night alone. But what I will say is, now that we are putting the WNBA season to a close, you as a listener have absolutely no reason to turn any dial because we are immediately going to be transitioning into. Uh, a very, very exciting college season. We'll have a lot to talk about, and that's going to roll you directly with an offseason. Um, that should be very interesting. I mean, you know, we've had the last couple of years of some fun free agent talk, um, and also a lot of college positioning. This draft class could be some of the most exciting, could be the most exciting draft class we've maybe seen in well over a decade. Um, it could also be one that feeds into 2025 because I have a feeling that there might be a couple players who realize that if they stick around where they're at right now, they just might inherit the new W <laughs> team all to themselves. That's got to be an intriguing thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of narrative, a lot of excitement, a lot of stuff to dive into. And so definitely stay tuned. We're excited to have a lot more discussion and watch some more phenomenal basketball. Uh, can't wait for that. As always, of course, you can listen to the program anywhere your podcasts are found. We'd love a five-star review or a comment, especially if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Check us out over at WNBAnation.com where you can stay connected with everything we're doing. But congrats to the Aces. The WNBA season for 2023 is officially done and dusted. Uh, and now we'll move things forward. But until then, thank you always for listening to WNBA Nation. I'm Steve Schwartz. I'm Logan Jones. And we got you next time. No, I'll see the lady later. You told me.